to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hair loss. It fills our brushes, our sink drains, and it can feel like the stuff of nightmares. It also brings a lot of women to my medical practice. Brittany is one. The first patient of the day, one fine spring morning. This 36-year-old graphic designer by day and yoga teacher on the weekends. The epitome of New York City chic. Cool, casual, elegant, with shoulder-length brunette hair pulled back in a low ponytail, was rocking a crisp white t-shirt, faded blue jeans, and ankle-high docks. However, cool and casual isn't at all how she felt. Dr. Aviva, I'm more tired than I should be. I'm not going to the bathroom regularly, and I have this chronic low-level depression that's just always there like it's nipping at my heels. I try to eat well, get enough sleep, and practice regular self-care. My periods are irregular, and sometimes they're real gushers, but can I tell you what? I would gladly deal with all of that if I could just have one symptom go away. My hair is falling out, and I hate that. It's causing me a mild panic every single time I wash my hair and see it going down the drain. When I see how much is in my hairbrush, or when I just catch myself in the mirror, I'm really freaked out. She was painfully self-conscious and was also experiencing new anxiety over whether her less abundant hair would affect her work and with it her income. Not an unrealistic concern in an appearance-driven world, including the yoga and women's wellness world, and she had to be on video on a regular basis for her yoga classes. So she decided to try inserts while working on it at a root cause level, but she really felt like the inserts were inconsistent with her sense of self as someone who tries to do everything naturally. Book ending my day, that same day in my medical office was Kathleen, a 51-year-old tall woman with sandy blonde hair with threads of silver just starting to show. She was wearing brown slacks and a light blue sweater, and she came in solely to to discuss the hair loss that she was experiencing, and it was devastating her far more than her recently empty nest or the perimenopause symptoms that were waking her up at night. Welcome to episode 121 of Natural MD Radio. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram, and today we're going to talk about women's hormonal hair loss, everything you need to know, and what you can do. I'd say that for every day I'm in my medical practice, at least one woman has hair loss on her list of symptoms. Here's the thing. Some daily hair loss is completely normal. We each lose as many as 50 to 100 hairs a day, as hair follicles naturally cycle through periods of growth called the anagen phase and rest, the telogen phase, during which some naturally sheds. But this type of hair loss is usually barely noticeable. For women with dark hair, it may be more obvious as it's easier to see it on the bathroom or shower floor or on a white pillow. But it doesn't cause substantive or any visible changes in your hairline, how much scalp you're seeing, or cause a shrinking ponytail volume. That's the type of hair loss that strikes fear into the hearts of women experiencing it. And it's not a small number of women. Estimates are that up to 50% of women will experience some more significant amount of hair loss in their lifetime. Hair loss is sometimes considered, for women, a quiet personal hell. 
It's both terrifying and devastating for any woman. The very word distress is really interesting and kind of says it all. Dis is the prefix that means not or opposite, and tress is a long lock of women's hair. Have you ever thought about that before? Distress, opposite of long hair. But why are we so devastated about hair loss? Well, for one, we love our hair. For most of us, it's a central part of our identity. It's how we describe ourselves along with our height and our eye color. It's also one of the most public forms of self-expression we all have. A short, punk-styled undercut says something very different than a neatly coiffed bob, or at least we usually think so. But there are also deeply ingrained social beliefs and biases about women and our hair. Having a lush head of hair in our culture represents beauty and youthfulness. There's also a terrible double standard when it comes to male and female hair loss. While 50 million, women, 50 million men also lose their hair, mostly as a function of age, and while yes, it may cause men some grief to lose their hair, even completely bald men are seen as desirable and even sexy. One study even found that bald men are perceived as more intelligent or successful. Not so much for women. We're either seen with empathy or sympathy, because it must have been a cancer diagnosis that led to loss of hair, right? or we're just not seen at all. It's no wonder then that hair loss becomes embarrassing, a feeling of shame pervades women who experience it, and even anxiety and depression. One study found that at least 70% of women experiencing hair loss feel very angry or disturbed by it. And another, in another study, nearly 90% of women experiencing hair loss, 90%, also experienced negative body image, poorer self-esteem, loss of a sense of control over their lives and body, and a decreased quality of life. For some women, it even leads to suicidal thoughts. This leads to a culture in which so many women, including those we see every day in movies, on television, in magazine ads, and even some of the gurus in the natural health and wellness space, wear inserts, weaves, and hair pieces, and where celebrities commonly wear wigs, we really don't even have a clue whose hair is real or what normal hair variation even looks like, particularly through different stages of our lives. An article that appeared in the media during New York Fashion Week in 2019 showed us the extent to which models wear hair that's not even their own. It's practically ubiquitous. The pictures in the article are totally worth a peek. I personally found it revelatory, and it actually gave me a sigh of relief, as I've also personally experienced my own crises with hormonally and stress-related hair loss. I know personally how much of a panic it can cause and how embarrassing it can feel. My first brush with hair loss, and I apologize for the pun, it was not on purpose, and there were a few that seemed to crop up when I was writing the article that goes along with this blog, which uh, podcast, which you can find over at avivaram.com forward slash 121. That's avivaram.com forward slash 121. And you'll actually find all the links there to various articles that I talk about, the research, as well as the article from the um, Fashion Week in 2019, which shows pictures of endless boxes and piles and layers of um, false hair that women in Fashion Week um, wear. So anyway, my first brush with hair loss 
was around four months postpartum with my second child. The fact that my hair is as black as a raven's feathers made it that much more noticeable as strands or sometimes even gobs of it ran down the drain in my shower, littered my bathroom floor, or were scattered on my pillow or bed sheets in the morning. It was truly frightening, and my midwives at the time had no idea what was causing it, so I had to do the research myself and discovered that telogen effluvium, as it's called, is a common occurrence at around this time post-birth and that my hair would grow back. Sure enough, between pregnancies it did, and during my pregnancies each time it got even thicker. But then, like clockwork, at four months postpartum again, with each of my next pregnancies, I have four kids, it would fall out again. And believe me, knowing that it was natural didn't stop me from having the nagging worry, what if this time it isn't temporary, or what if it all falls out? Of course, it always was temporary, and my hair would level out again, but I do know that overall it did become a bit thinner than before having my babies. Most recently, though, at 52, I experienced some hair loss again. It occurred at the end of a particularly stressful three-year run of really big things and changes happening in my life, either consecutively or sometimes simultaneously, and it all was also culminating at the time that I began to experience perimenopausal hormone shifts, like some skipped periods and some hot flashes. This time, it was just plain scary because I had no certainty that it would grow back. And like my patient, Brittany, my work involves seeing myself in print, online, and in video almost daily. So I had a constant reminder of it. I was constantly seeing the change in myself. And also, I had the very real fear, like Brittany, that changes in my appearance would affect my professional work. I know it sounds like vanity, but as women in wellness, we're heavily judged by our appearance. And hell, where in life aren't we as women heavily judged by our appearance? My hairstylist definitely noticed the hair loss, and I truly appreciated her being honest about it when I asked her because my family was telling me I was kind of crazy or that it wasn't that much. That said... She said she sees it all the time in women, quote, my age, which she's the same age, and that the only answer is hormone replacement therapy. It's amazing how free we all are these days with dispensing medical advice. But the thing was, I really heard her say it, and I know the risks of hormone replacement therapy, and it wasn't something I would want to take even for the sake of my hair. I would only take that risk if I needed it medically. And also that androgen therapy isn't a long-term solution, that the growth, the growth benefits last only for as long as you're using the treatments. And so on the one hand, I was not wanting to do hormone therapy. On the other hand, I have my actual hairdresser saying that's the only thing that you could do. And I felt pretty doomed and pretty anxious. At my daughter's urging, thank you, my girl, for reminding me to take a dose of my own medicine, she pointed out how much stress I'd been under. And yes, you are going through hormonal changes, but you've been managing a lot over the past few years. And she urged me to take a prenatal vitamin. Now, the humor of this is having a prenatal vitamin on my ha- on my kitchen counter in my house and explaining to my kids that, no, I was not planning to get pregnant or pregnant. But it was really an important um, shift for me also because I saw the actual physical impact that having too many things on my plate at one time and there were some big things going on in my life um, could really have on my 
physical health. And so one thing that really shifted for me at that time was prioritizing a stronger commitment even than I had to self-care and having fewer projects on my plate at any given time. And I established some really clear work hours and some really clear stopping hours for myself. So I can say happily that it's taken about six or so months, but my hair is growing back. My hairstylist notices that too. And on top of it, I'm sleeping better and de-stressing also basically stopped me from having hot flashes almost 100%. The funny thing is that when I told my hairdresser that I thought my hair was growing back and my stylist looked at my hair, she said, scalp, and she's like, it definitely is. She said, see, I told you that it was the stress that you were under. And I laughed. And of course, I just agreed. But it's not all the way there. And my hair may never be back to where it was. And it's so easy to think of our former selves with longing. And so what I'm trying to do now is, you know, find peace with where I am in my life, do all the things that also nurture hair health, like I'm sharing with you. And while I do sometimes self feel self a little bit self-conscious or hyper-aware of my hair in photos, and particularly as a medical doctor helping other women with their hair loss, sometimes it can feel a little awkward. Um, I'm really doing the inner work about it. But I really, you know, I'm sharing this because even though my hair is going back, I have had a taste of what that feels like to be in that incredibly devastating experience of hair loss and the pressures that we feel in our culture to appear a certain way are very, very real. As with so many areas related to our bodies, beauty, and health, we are so set up to compare ourselves to standards that as I shared with you, based on what I was telling you about, you know, the number of women wearing hair inserts, even at fashion week, um, and, you know, as a physician, I know how many women are really wearing hair inserts and weaves and even using wigs. We don't know that information publicly. And so we're so set up to achieve standards that aren't actually even humanly achievable for most people. For women, um, few women are just like whipping off their wigs or pulling out their inserts or weaves the way if you ever watch Sex in the City, Samantha did post-chemo when she had lost her hair and she was famously on stage giving a talk to women and she was having hot flashes and had just had chemo and lost her hair and was pouring sweat and she kind of says, screw it, and pulls her wig off. And it was such a brave moment, I thought. So I say brava to those few women, but the increasing numbers who are in real life speaking up about their experiences. For example, recently, former talk show host and filmmaker, uh, she created, for example, The Business of Being Born, Ricky Lake, recently went public about her long-term struggles with hair loss. And she posted images of herself on Instagram proudly, bravely, and really quite sexily rocking a Demi Moore as G.I. Jane buzz cut. And I have to hand it to Rachel Hollis of Girl Wash Your Face fame for being open and public about getting bonded hair extensions, which she talks about on her website. When wellness and lifestyle celebrities rock their perfect hair on their perfect Instagram pages, it can leave the rest of us feeling, well, quite less than. And sometimes I think knowing what's real can really shift our own self-perspective and kind of reduce that feeling that we are less than or not doing enough or there's something wrong with us. Her transparency about the fact that she's wearing these 
extensions to me is incredibly refresh, re- very refreshing. I mean, I wish as women, we didn't have to alter our appearance. And, and certainly we don't have to, but there's a lot of pressure um, for women to do so, as I've shared. So, you know, I, I really commend her for doing that. I think that we all need this dose of reality when it comes to social media and media in general. I recently saw an Uber celebrity in a shop in New York City, and I had to check twice to see if my eyes were identifying her correctly. Frankly, she looked like any woman and startlingly startlingly different than she actually does in film or in print. And I think we all need to see more of that, not just to live more comfortably in our own skin, but so that we stop being judged by prospective partners, employers, and others based on our appearance. I mean, look, even the medical profession, which you'd think would select medical residents based on medical school performance or altruism or skill, to name a few important attributes of being a doctor, has been found to selectively, biasedly suggest, um, select medical residents based on attractiveness. And so, you know, this is happening kind of in every corner of our culture. Well, I'd love us to rise up together and sing kubaya and say F it to worrying about hair loss. It's obviously not that simple, though I think that should be part of the plan for sure. Though the cosmetic and social issues are what most commonly drive the high level of distress that hair loss causes, it's also important to remember that it can be an important message from our body that warrants a look under the hood. Hair loss is absolutely a signal that something is going on and impacting your body in one way or another. That something may be temporary and related to a natural biological hormonal shift, for example, postpartum hair loss. It may be the symptom of a nutritional deficiency or stress. It can be due to something that you're being exposed to, a damaging hair dye or another product or a styling technique. Or it can be the result of a medication. Chemotherapy is one example, but other medications may cause hair loss as well. Or it can be due to a medical condition. In the remainder of today's talk, I'm going to focus on the most common hormonally related causes of hair loss and what you can do to reverse these and take back your hair health. Keep in mind that these natural approaches that I share are based on taking what I call a total ecosystems approach to health. So for example, like me, it wasn't just enough to say, I'm going to take a supplement or I'm going to, you know, do something else. I had to also take a hard look at what was going on in my stress level and make real life changes in that. So when you take this total ecosystems approach to your health, you're looking at your whole life, which is something very different than Western medicine does. Western medicine sees our bodies as separate parts, which is why medicine is compartmentalized into what we often in medicine call silos. You see a gynecologist for your lady part stuff, a psychiatrist for your mind stuff, a gastroenterologist for digestive system troubles, and you get a diagnosis and treatment that relates to just that problem. Symptoms and health conditions don't happen in silos. 
everything in your body is happening that's happening is the result of a constellation of factors all together. Like a recipe, they create your experience. So for example, if you have celiac disease, eating gluten can be causing your hair loss, as can hidden gluten in thickening shampoos. Bet you didn't know about that one. If you have leaky gut and aren't absorbing iron, this can play a role in hair loss. Or hypothyroidism, as in Brittany's case, which was the underlying cause. And once she got onto the right dose of the best thyroid medication, and she was gluten sensitive and removed gluten from her diet, um, that was a big inflammatory trigger for her, her hair loss slowed down and then stopped. And then in about six months, her hair started to thicken up again, and eventually her hair grew back. In Kathleen's case, perimenopause was the culprit, and based on my more recent experience, like I said, stress seems to have been the biggest precipitating factor, with possibly some hormonal changes. It's also really important to keep in mind that conventional medicine doesn't take non-autoimmune hair loss that seriously. It's not life-threatening. There's no major convincing or, you know, one effective medical treatment for it. So a lot of women go to their doctor to basically be told you can do a hormone therapy or, uh, you know, try um, spironolactone, which sometimes helps for, for some women. Uh, but basically, you're kind of on your own with this one. We don't know what's causing it, and there aren't any good solutions. So it's really important to kind of expand our scope and think about, well, what are some of the underlying causes that we can identify? And is there anything that you can try for those before trying more aggressive medical solutions like hormone therapy? When a Approaching hair loss in my patients, I get a complete history to understand when it began and what was happening in my patient's life at that time and in the six months prior, whether there are other symptoms that are also occurring that can give me a clue to what might be going on. For example, are there symptoms of polycystic ovary syndrome? Is she going through menopause or does she have other symptoms that suggest an autoimmune condition? And I always want to know how hair loss is affecting her sense of self and how we can support that along the way. I also make sure my patients are supplementing with a prenatal vitamin, even if they're not in baby having mode. Prenatal vitamins have a bit of a bump, again, no pun intended, in their nutritional levels over other daily multis, and getting a bit more iodine, selenium, zinc, B12, and iron can help support hair health and growth. So what does cause hormonal hair loss and what can you do? Common things being common, let's start with stress. It's easy to forget that stress is not just a life issue or something that makes you feel like you want to pull your hair out, but it's also a hormonal issue. Think cortisol with very real physical responses and stress can definitely make your hair fall out. A longer period of significant stress or even a long period of chronic ongoing middle-level stress, as I was experiencing, or a single major life event, often a sudden life event, can cause your body to try to save energy on what are called vanity expenses, like hair growth, which requires a surprising amount of cellular mitochondrial energy. When you go into a high level of stress phase, you, your hair may stay in that telogen effluvium stage longer, so that the part where your hair isn't growing. And that telogen effluvium can cause, or the telogen phase, sorry, and that is called telogen effluvium. Now, I mentioned that that's what 
women experience postpartum. Part of what's happening postpartum is yes, you're going through hormonal shifts, but birth in and becoming a mother is actually a significant biological stressor. It's a big deal. And so often when women go through or human beings go through a significant period of stress in their life or a large major stressful event like an accident or a loss or a trauma, it may be three or four months later that the hair actually starts to fall out. So it may take a a longer period of time and you might not even associate it with the event. But if you had an event and then three or four months later, your hair starting to change or fall out, that can very well explain why. In addition, when we're stressed out, we tend to eat less well, we sleep less well, and stress itself causes us to use up more nutrients, including important nutrients like B vitamins and zinc, which are central for hair growth. So what can you do for a hair repair prescription? During times of high stress, buffer yourself with plenty of self-care and build resilience with good sleep support, a healthy diet, and nutrients and adaptogens to support your stress response. Do what you can to roll back the stressors in your life. Is there something you can take off your plate or your to-do list? Is there a way you can reprioritize or bring in someone who can help you to manage your responsibilities? Also, really remember to nourish your adrenals with a daily meditation practice, even if it's just five minutes a day. Deep breathing practices, which can quickly reset your nervous system and make a big difference over time. And possibly consider additional nutrients and herbs, like the adaptogens I mentioned, which you can learn about over on my website. And you'll find links to all of these different resources that I'm talking about over at avivaram.com forward slash 121. That's the number 121. And in addition, you'll find all of this written for you in an article form. So you don't have to try to remember it. You can go back, bookmark it, you know, tag it, and go back to it when you want to or need to. Additionally, my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, provides a very deep dive into healing your stress response and your adrenals. Now, if you've been ill or under serious stress, um, it's important to allow yourself a time to recuperate, repair, and replenish. And remember, illness, even having the flu or bronchitis, um, can be perceived by your body as a significant stress. And we often just don't give ourselves enough time or patience to heal. So it's important to get extra rest, replace nutrients that you might have lost by not eating for a bunch of days if you were sick. So make sure you're getting adequate protein and healthy fats and good quality carbohydrates. And make sure that you get enough healthy complex carbohydrates in your diet in general. A lot of women are giving up the carbs. They're cutting them out. But carbs are really important for healthy hair growth And they also have B vitamins that support mitochondrial function. Now, I'm not talking about eating bagels and donuts. I'm talking about healthy whole grains. I also recommend taking a multivitamin or, as I mentioned, consider making it a prenatal vitamin. Your body also reads dramatic weight loss as stress, and that can temporarily lead to hair loss. What counts as dramatic? A 5% or more weight loss, which if you started out at about 150 pounds is 7 pounds, particularly over a relatively short time, like 6 to 12 weeks or under. 
One common reason I see for hair loss in my practice is women who have done an extreme cleanse, a fast or a diet. This is not a healing response. It's stress on the body. And sometimes that stress from a cleanse can actually also slow down thyroid function in response. And that can cause hair loss. And that extreme fasting or dieting or cleansing can lead to nutrient depletion. um, And in itself, that can cause hair loss. Illness and extreme stress can also cause sudden weight loss and with it, hair loss as well. So what's the hair repair prescription for that? If you've been doing extreme fasting or cleansing, you may need to bring your body weight back up to a normal healthy range to halt the hair loss and nourish regrowth. One way to determine your best weight is simply use an online BMI calculator and make sure you're not below the underweight range. The underweight range is anything is a BMI 18.4 or lower. But even being just slightly above that might not be enough. Ideally, you want to be about 2 to 5% above that lower range or no lower than a BMI of about 20. Please recognize that frequent or extreme fasting and cleansing are not healthy, sustainable approaches to healing, wellness, or weight loss. Now, I discuss this at length in my podcast episode 88, Can Cleanses and Detoxes Tank Your Thyroid?, where I actually share a case review of a woman who came to me who experienced hair loss after a cleanse. There are safe, more nurturing ways to achieve your health goals and your weight goals that don't put your body under such extreme stress. And I want you to make sure to also follow the steps I mentioned um, previously to replenish your nutrients. Now, the most common form of hair loss is called female pattern hair loss. This is non-scarring and typically affects the crown of the head and the hairline, but rarely causes complete hair loss. It usually is a hair thinning. It affects about 30 million women in the United States, and it's largely attributed to elevated androgen levels. Androgens are hormones like testosterone. And it may be due to having PCOS. Elevated androgens are a common feature of PCOS with higher testosterone levels. Dihydrotestosterone, a potent testosterone metabolite or breakdown product, binds to androgen receptors in your hair follicles, resulting in an increase in genes that are responsible for the transformation of the terminal hair follicles, and it causes them to become what are called miniaturized hair follicles. 5-alpha reductase is the enzyme that converts testosterone into the much more potent form DHT, or dihydrotestosterone. If 5-alpha reductase levels increase, more testosterone is converted to DHT, and greater hair loss results. However, that's not the whole story. As androgen levels are are normal in a lot of women, in fact, most women with female pattern hair loss. The theory on this is that women with normal androgen levels, but female pattern hair loss have an increased sensitivity of their hair follicles to androgen. So even at lower or normal levels, hair loss might occur. But if you went and had a blood test, 
it wouldn't be detected as the problem because the levels would come back normal. It's that extra sensitivity to it at the hair follicle that's a problem. Additionally, a new study has found that women with female pattern hair loss have a form of dysbiosis, so their microbiome is affected in their hair follicle with the same types of bacteria that cause inflammatory acne. The inflammation in the follicle causes hair loss, and this may explain why some antibacterial shampoos are sometimes effective for hair loss. So what can you do for hair repair? Well, one one solution that you can use is topical minoxidil, which is approved by the FDA for treatment of androgenic alopecia in women, another term for female pattern hair loss. However, the active ingredients have limited effectiveness and can cause adverse effects. And the thing is, any gains that you make while using the medication are lost pretty quickly when the treatment is discontinued. So you're basically buying yourself a ticket to continuing to use it for as long as you want to maintain that hair growth, risking the side effects. Spironolactone, which is a blood pressure medication, is commonly used because it does slow down the production of androgen. A 2015 study found that almost 75% of participants with female pattern hair loss noticed an improvement in their hair loss after taking spironolactone. However, this is a non-approved off-label use for the medication and does have some potential side effects ranging from fatigue to irregular periods, breast tenderness, low sex drive, and depression to gastrointestinal bleeding and about 10 other significant consequences. It usually takes about six months to see significant effects, so you're on it for a while before you even start to get the gains. Alternatives to consider include zinc as a supplement and green tea extract, both of which have been shown in small studies to reduce that enzyme 5-alpha reductase, leading to increased testosterone. That leads to increased testosterone levels, so you're, you're blocking it so you're not getting those increased testosterone levels. Interestingly, melatonin in a topical spray was found in a review of five small studies that concluded that it might be effective for reducing local oxidative stress and androgens and reduce hair loss, not just with female pattern hair loss, but possibly from other causes as well. What I would say is that if you feel like you're not urgent to go ahead and try a pharmaceutical, trying the zinc, trying the green tea extract, and those would be taken orally, and using the melatonin in a topical spray are absolutely worth trying. You just need to give it, you know, three to six months to see if it's going to be helpful for you. If at any time you want to shift and do the pharmaceutical, that option always exists. One more thing worth trying is reishi mushroom. It's also been found in a small study but one that was suggested to be promising and worth further research to inhibit 5-alpha reductase, again, that enzyme that converts testosterone to the more potent DHT. Reishi also has many other health benefits, including immune enhancement, reducing inflammation, improving sleep, and supporting the stress response. So again, something I would consider trying. Um, You can do all of those together and, you know, give it three to six months and see what you think. 
Now, another common cause that's related to everything that I just talked about kind of has the same mechanism is polycystic ovary syndrome. This is a condition that affects as many as one in eight women. Its hallmark hormonal imbalance is elevated testosterone, and that's what causes the female pattern hair loss in an estimated 20% of women with PCOS. The hair loss associated with PCOS as for other women dealing with this symptom of hair loss, is absolutely alarming and devastating for a small group of women with PCOS who may lose a significant amount of hair. But what is it in PCOS and also sometimes outside of PCOS in general with women with female pattern hair loss that leads to the elevated androgens? Interestingly, it's insulin resistance that's the culprit in a significant number of women with this condition. Oddly, however, in women with PCOS, similar to how I mentioned the testosterone levels could be normal, but the hair follicle is more sensitive, we see the same thing with women with PCOS and insulin. So they may have insulin resistance, but on their labs, their insulin may look normal. Because in this case, the insulin resistance may be causing problems at levels that still fall within normal ranges on labs. So your doctor may not even be able to detect it. What can you do? The hair hormone repair for PCOS, and many women can get very dramatic results and even complete reversal or remission of PCOS, is the PCOS protocol that I share with you in my blog and podcast, The PCOS Natural Prescription, which again, you can find linked over at avivaram.com forward slash 121. It's an excellent starting place for PCOS. Now, I have a book coming out in December of 2020, but as of this recording, that's 11 months away. So I want you to be able to have a really, really good resource. And the PCOS blog and podcast are, is quite comprehensive to the point that I've had women who have struggled with fertility problems, um, which is a common problem with PCOS, uh, let me know that they followed that protocol and got pregnant and had babies. So it's what I use in my own medical practice as part of what I do. Of course, when you work one-on-one with someone, you get a little bit more tailored, but it's a good overall protocol. It's still important though to work with a practitioner uh, who's skilled, licensed women's healthcare provider if you do have PCOS, because PCOS carries some serious potential health consequences if it's not properly treated. And as with other hair growth, um, you still may need a substantial amount of time to really see that regrowth. And in my experience, which is substantial, um, hair, hair regrowth uh, and even the slowing down of hair loss is one of the latter symptoms to improve. So a lot of women start the PCOS protocol, they see their cycles start to get more regular. If they've been struggling with their weight, they often see weight improving, um, their mood improves, their energy improves, but it may take several months before the hair loss slows down and even six months before you really start to notice hair regrowth. Now, you can have insulin resistance and not have PCOS. Insulin resistance is when your cells aren't responding to the insulin that's circulating. So it's like somebody 
knocking and knocking and knocking on a door and nobody's opening the door, nobody's responding. And insulin resistance is one of the most common precursors of metabolic syndrome and also type 2 diabetes. We want to think about ways that you can reduce insulin resistance naturally whenever possible, and this can be done by restoring blood sugar balance and reducing inflammation. Those are the two keys to reversing insulin resistance. And this can absolutely be done by following a Mediterranean-style diet. Sometimes women find, um, particularly women in perimenopause, that intermittent fasting for a few months can make a huge difference. And if needed, you can use supportive nutritional supplements. This is important not only for reversing hair loss, this approach, but for long-term health in nearly every aspect of our wellness. As I mentioned, insulin resistance when it's untreated can lead to type 2 diabetes and that can wreak havoc on your life. I discuss insulin resistance as well in my article and podcast on PCOS and I provide an extensive plan for reversing insulin resistance in the adrenal thyroid revolution. I'll also have one in my forthcoming book in December 2020. Both Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, which are thyroid autoimmune conditions, are notorious causes of hair loss, particularly a form of hair loss called alopecia areata. In fact, nearly 25% of new cases of alopecia areata are associated with the presence of anti-thyroid antibodies and thyroid dysfunction. Of note, not only is zinc important for healthy thyroid function, but healthy thyroid function is necessary for zinc absorption, and that has an impact on hair regrowth. So healthy thyroid, as I talked about, uh, taking zinc as a supplement, as I've talked about several times, is only going to be as effective as your thyroid is functioning properly. And then also, if you're not absorbing your zinc, that can have an impact on your thyroid. So what is the hair repair prescription if you have Hashimoto's or Graves? Well, if you don't know that you have those, but you're experiencing hair loss, and especially if you're experiencing alopecia areata, but really no matter what hair loss, I recommend getting a complete thyroid panel. That should include TSH, free T3, free T4, your autoimmune antibodies. But you can also ask for your physician to check for other things. Iodine is one of the most um, common nutrients that when we're not getting enough of can also have an impact on our thyroid. I want you to also see my website for numerous articles and podcasts on thyroid health. And if you haven't, and you do have a problem with your thyroid or think you have a problem with your thyroid, please do yourself a favor and grab a copy of The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution for a comprehensive plan. Now, postpartum hair loss. I've talked about this. I've shared my own experience with it. Like I said, having a baby is a major life event, and usually, even in the best of circumstances, it can be a stressful time. And so many unexpected and stressful events can happen. One in three women will give birth by cesarean section, for example, and that can be a huge stress on your system, particularly if you have a stressful labor leading up to it as well. This kind of stress in the postpartum period causes your hair follicles to go into a resting phase, which I jokingly tell my patients, at least some part of you is resting when you've had a baby. And after a few months, typically around four months after a baby's birth, your hair can seem like it's falling out in gobs. Hang in there. It stops on its own within a few months. 
This same kind of hair loss can occur after illness, a trauma, or surgery. So if you've got the double whammy of uh, having had a baby, maybe you were planning a natural birth and you had a very difficult labor, that can be or feel traumatic. And then you have a a cesarean, you've now had all three, the baby, the trauma, and the surgery. So be really patient and kind with yourself. Give yourself time to heal and recognize that this is um, your body trying to protect you, unfortunately, from expending energy that it doesn't need to by cutting off energy to hair growth, but it will come back. So give it some time, continue to take your prenatal vitamin, consider boning up with a rich nettles infusion daily to provide extra minerals and support. Also make sure to support your adrenals. While adaptogens are not appropriate during pregnancy, quite a few of them can be used during the postpartum time. And I talk about that in my blog and podcast over at my website, on which adaptogens to use for burnout. And in that, I talk about which ones are okay for new moms. Now, it's also important to remember and be cognizant of the fact that thyroid problems are super common even up to a year after having baby. So if you have hair loss that starts earlier than a few months or lasts longer than eight months, you might want to consider that it's it could be a thyroid problem and not just typical telogen and effluvium, which really does usually start around three or four months postpartum and usually starting to wrap up completely by about eight months postpartum. Um, so, it, and, and certainly if you have any other symptoms, like some of the symptoms Brittany had, I shared her story um, in the beginning of the uh, podcast, she wasn't pregnant, but she had fatigue, constipation, depression. So if you're not sure what the symptoms are of... Uh, thyroid problems, you can check out my blog on and podcast on postpartum thyroid um, health. And if you go over to avivaram.com forward slash 121, I tell you how to make a delicious nettles infusion, which any woman experiencing hair loss can add to her diet for micronutrients. Speaking of nutrients, low iron is a really common cause of hair loss. Now, How is that a hormonal problem? I said I was going to focus on hormonal causes of hair loss. Well, heavy periods from uterine fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis can all cause you to get low iron or low on your iron stores, your ferritin, and this can lead to hair loss. In one study, over 80% of women affected by hair loss were found to have ferritin levels less than 70 micrograms per liter. And that is something that you can actually have your primary care provider test for you. Other nutritional insufficiencies, including protein, essential fatty acids, and trace minerals and vitamins can also cause hair loss. Zinc and vitamin D status also appear to play a significant role in hair health. So what is the hair repair prescription? Get your ferritin levels checked. It's the best way to detect low iron, even better than the standard test of hemoglobin and hematocrit. Make sure to increase your dietary iron intake with good quality food. And if your iron or ferritin does turn out to be low, you can supplement with 30 to 60 milligrams of iron plus vitamin C to aid absorption every day for about three to six months and then recheck your levels. The goal is a ferritin level of or at around 70 micrograms per liter. And again, 
That number is over at avivaron.com forward slash 121. You don't have to remember it, memorize it. And also take a multivitamin, right? You want to make sure you're getting all these other nutrients that I mentioned. And most multivitamins don't have enough vitamin D. So you'd want to supplement 2000 units of vitamin D is safe for just about everyone daily and get essential fatty acids. Either eat cold water fatty fish a couple of few times a week, about four ounces at a time, or supplement with fish oil or a vegan version. Now, there's another surprising hormonal trigger that can lead to hair loss. While the statistics on this are still limited due to lack of research on the association between the Mirena IUD and hair loss, it is a known side effect. Other hormone treatments, for example, a medication called aromatase inhibitors and GnRH analogs that are used to treat endometriosis and uterine fibroids can cause hair loss, progestin-only birth control pills, which are the most common, and certain medications that are used as part of chemotherapy can all cause hair loss. This may not be evident at first. You might not connect the hair loss that starts, let's say, three months after having a, a IUD inserted uh, with that problem. So you want to start, you know, connect the dots. And again, that comes to looking at when hair loss started, what changed in the three to six months prior. But if hair loss starts within a few months of using any of these medications or other medications, that could be your cause. And usually discontinuing the medication will stop the hair loss and regrowth will resume. Of course, check with your medical provider before you discontinue any medications. They might be medications you really need. Now, I mentioned for me, when I was going through some significant stress, it wasn't something that happened intentionally. I had written The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. The irony of it is I wrote that book in three months. And then I created a massive online professional course with 120 hours of video content alone. And when I say I created, I literally created like all the PowerPoint slides, all the videos, et cetera. And then on the heels of that, I was already scheduled to write this next book. And on top of it, I have four kids and you know a family and a life and medical practice. And so it kind of just crept up on me. And suddenly I found myself in the middle of a very deep pool. And so, yes, I did my self-care and I ate well and you know tried to get good sleep. Um, but I was going through the early start of perimenopause at the same time in the last year. And that was when I started to notice, huh, you know, I think my hair along my part is just a little bit thinner. Now, some amount of female pattern hair loss or thinning is very common in perimenopause. In fact, about 6% of all women who go through perimenopause will experience it. Estrogen helps keep hair follicles healthy, and as it declines, the hair follicles may shrink and hair can fall out as a result. A relatively higher androgen state also leads, leads to perimental hair, peripen perimenopausal hair loss, um, and it leads to the same category as I talked about earlier, which is that female pattern hair loss. The commonness of this, however, doesn't make it any less disconcerting. But it's important to know that for some women, this is the case, and we can either accept it or do something about it, which usually means some form of attention to your hormones. It's also super important to note that if you're experiencing hair loss and possibly other symptoms of perimenopause, but you're actually under 42 years old, 
This can be a sign of premature menopause, in which case it's really important to consult with an MD, a nurse practitioner, or a certified nurse midwife who can do a proper workup with proper labs to see if in fact you are going into menopause too soon. And if that's the case, you can use natural supplements to restore ovarian function, which I'm going to have a lot of information about coming out on my website and my podcast and blog and a whole chapter on it in that forthcoming book. But if needed, you can use, um, you can create a plan with your primary care provider that is important for protecting your bone, your heart, and your brain because those are really supported by estrogen. And if estrogen declines too early, those can take a hit. So you really want to make sure that even if you're doing all the natural approach, you've got someone in your corner who's there for you to keep up with labs, symptoms, and do appropriate testing and make sure you're getting the right therapies. So what is the hair repair prescription for women going through perimenopausal or premature menopause? Follow the recommendations that I talked about earlier for female pattern hair loss and use supplements and herbs to revitalize ovarian function. Like I said, more of that to come out in my book and forthcoming articles and podcasts. There's also a limited repertoire of herbs, but some that may be helpful, in addition to the ones that I mentioned earlier, like green tea, for example, that are specifically helpful for menopausal uh, symptoms, like adaptogens and something called puerraria morifica. Again, avivaram dot com forward slash 121. You'll see it written there. As perimenopause is also often an emotionally stressful time as we navigate this new stage in our lives and the changes that we're going through physically and emotionally and spiritually and psychologically, and it can be accompanied by sleep changes as well, you really want to consider a holistic plan. You may find that you want to talk with other women who are going through perimenopausal changes, work with a kick-ass therapist who's sensitive to what you're going through, and make sure to have a holistic plan also to restore healthy sleep and adaptogens to support stress resilience. I also want to make sure you don't miss other medical and non-medical causes beyond the hormonal ones I talked about. So the most common non-medical cause of hair loss is actually hairstyling. Some hair dyes and other products and even certain hairstyles can cause hair damage and loss. Traction alopecia is a real thing and it can occur as a result of hairstyles that pull on your hair roots too tightly and include tight ponytails or buns, uh, you know, tight buns, not a regular bun, or cornrows. If your hair follicles are damaged in this traction alopecia, it can even lead to permanent hair loss. So loosen up on your hairstyles. One of the most common medical causes of hair loss to consider that's not hormonal is autoimmune disease. Alopecia means hair loss. Alopecia areata and alopecia universalis are autoimmune conditions in which hair loss is the main symptom. And it's estimated that almost 7 million Americans are affected by this. It's also more common, as I mentioned, with autoimmune thyroid disorders, particularly alopecia, alopecia areata. Women with alopecia areata can lose eyebrows, eyelashes, and with alopecia universalis, you can lose all of your body hair, head hair, eyelashes, eyebrows, but everything everywhere. 
Model Gina Turner, who suffers from autoimmune alopecia, did a really powerful reveal on America's Top Model, showing us how emotionally painful it is to not only live with hair loss in a culture that so defines women um, by beauty standards, but how terrifying but also liberating it is to stop hiding it, which so many women do when we experience hair loss. Now, unfortunately, genetics do play a role. Disappointingly, if all the women in your family have significant hair thinning, or believe it or not, if the men in your family have early baldness, this can play a role in determining your own hair thickness or thinning and loss over time. When genetics play a role, or a significant role, a natural approach may help, but if you experience early or significant hair loss and you can identify that this has happened for a lot of the women and many of the men in your family, in that case, the only solution may be a hormonal approach to really maintain that hair um, thickness that you want. What can you expect? None of us wants to lose our hair and it's devastating. Getting a clear understanding of what's at the root of hair loss is key because some root causes are readily reversible. And though hair regrowth may take months to be noticeable, it can definitely happen. And avoiding that trigger or preventing it from recurring is really important. But I'm never going to mislead you. For some women, a natural approach isn't enough. If the causes are autoimmune, there are other treatments for that. Uh, that if there is uh, scarring of your hair follicles, that may be impossible to reverse. Or if it's deeply woven into your genes, again, the natural therapies may help to some extent, but may not be able to stop the inevitable um, progression. If you're experiencing hair loss that can't be explained by the common hormonal causes I've talked about, it's important to get a proper diagnosis. And regardless of the cause, working with a skilled integrative practitioner or preferably a team, for example, one that includes a nutritionist, and if needed, someone for mental health support to cope with the deeper emotional psychological experience of hair loss can really help you get to the root cause and find resilience in the process. There are so many ways we give up on ourselves. We give up on our power and our belief in our own intrinsic beauty. This is a really important time to find the best ways for you to feel your best in the world. There's no shame in hair loss, and it's more common than any of us see on the surface. There's no shame in inserts, wigs, or anything else that makes you feel your most powerful and confident and comfortable. There's no shame in trying a natural approach or using medical options, as long as you're aware of the risks. If you're able to regrow a luscious head of hair, I am so happy for you because I know how great that will feel. And if you aren't and decide to go G.I. Jane, sister, we'll all be cheering for you. I hope this podcast has given you support, information, encouragement, and a really deep sense that you're not alone. And if this is not something you're struggling with, but you want to share it with the women in your lives, I guarantee you someone you share it with will be so appreciative and so grateful. And it might really be life-changing for her, particularly if she's feeling alone, experiencing depression or anxiety. The best way to share this and spread the word is 
for you to do me a big favor, drop a rating on iTunes, drop a rating for the podcast. If you haven't subscribed and this is your first time here, welcome. Please do subscribe and make sure to share it with the women in your life. Thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you next time on Natural MD Radio. you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.